Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 31 of the Krause House podcast. 31. I normally cheat and see who wore number 31, but I don't know. Oh, I got a big one. There's an obvious 31. Is it like Glenn Rice? We're 31. By the way, I just want to, I just need to get a out of my system Sui! before we get too okay, far. Okay, well, no, guys. we don't want to overdo it because there's going to be some plenty of suis coming up, Ooh. so buckle in. But I was thinking of Reggie, Reggie Schiller. <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah, that's a great one. That's fantastic. That's the only one. I can't, I can't, like I said, normally I cheat. I can't think of everybody else. Maybe Glenn. All right, I'm cheating right, right now. We got Jared Allen, got Sam Bowie, <laughs> Shane Battier, Seth Curry. He's rocked 31. Spencer Haywood, shout out to winning time. John Henson, Joe Johnson rocked it on the Celtics in 02. So, I mean, there's a decent list here. Darko Milicek, baby. Oh, wow. Dude, 31 is cursed. You got Sam Bowie and Darko? Dude, Matt Both. Mooney. Dude, Matt Mooney, we saw him at NBA Summer League. He played decent. Shout out to Matt Mooney, but he's 31. That's actually funny that Sam Bowie and... Darko are both notoriously known for being the shittiest number two picks of all time, passing on Carmelo and also passing on Jordan. Terrence Ross. Cr- Terrence Ross. It's pretty good. The weirdest 50 point game ever. I love Terrence Ross's game. Nick Van Exel. Not oh, the Lake on the Lakers, though. On the Nuggets, Mavs, and Spurs. Charlie Villanueva. Oh, see, we can't we can't do that. We can't do like the one year where they're in the twilight of the career and like, you know, the franchise player has their number and they have to switch. We can't do this. Jasper count. Wilson rocked it on the New Orleans Buccaneers in 1969. Oh yeah, I'm a Buccaneers fan, baby. Dude, I did, honestly I'm embarrassed to say I did not know there was a New Orleans Buccaneers. No. I mean ABA. I just Mm. It, it just is oh well okay i just assumed they were the jazz before moving to utah we got a good one today you prematurely suede but i had the opportunity to attend the big three draft here in la we're gonna dive into that it was a really awesome experience what else dow related little stuff. nba playoffs in, nba playoffs we might get into some philosoph we always get into some sort of philosophical Debate, so we might do that during the Dow portion of things. Yeah, well, let's start we with the playoffs. A little bit about governance, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry, what did you say? Let's start with the playoffs. Let's start with the playoffs. A lot of hate uh, on the playoffs. I think because of all the blowouts. I think someone didn't someone say I, I saw on Twitter. It was like there's been 15 over over 15 point games or 20 point games or something like that. Um, I don't know. The number was a lot, and I don't have my stat right, so that kind of nullifies the whole thing. But been a lot of blowouts. What have you been your general thoughts on the playoffs? Because they're catching a lot of flack on social. Yeah, I haven't watched the East at all. Um, partly because I'm just bitter and sour, and I just don't like the the Heat or the Celtics. I just I don't find them enjoyable to watch, especially given they both have given the Bucks trouble in the past. But I've watched a bit out of the West. Obviously, those have been some big blowouts. But yeah, I'm in a bum. Luca didn't make the NBA Finals, although this Warriors team, you know, there's just something nice about them. It just like they they make me feel much better than the KD Warriors. And so I'm excited for Steph and Clay and, and Draymond to kind of, you know, reclaim their, probably the twilight of their golden era. But I'm excited, certainly rooting for the Warriors now, especially, again, just hate the, the Heat and Celtics. But yeah, it's been tough to watch in the East, especially. And every time I think about maybe tuning in, I check the score and I'm like, dude, I don't like them and the game's not good. So why would I bother? What about you? 
Yeah, I want to start by highlighting it's definitely a bias thing because Heat, whatever, but the Celtics are awesome to watch uh, on both sides, both sides of the ball. Mm. So you gotta you gotta remove. If Jason Tatum, no. he's got one of the worst three point celebrations in the league. He kisses his fingers with like like he's like throwing out. Ro- I'm like, dude, and then he goes like two for sixteen from downtown. Of course, he has his hot days, but like. I'm so over Jason Tatum. I like Jalen Brown. Marcus Smart shouldn't have gotten to play defensive player of the year. Al Horford, what the hell is going on? Just like that team is just, ugh, dude, it's just not cool, man. No, I mean, dude, that is that is painful, painful bias because they knocked your boys out. Well, tell That's... tell me tell me that that is a cool three point celebration. Tell me with a straight face. I'm not I'm not too concerned with the three point celebration. I mean, is the shimmy a cool three point? No, but Steph's awesome. Jason Tatum is amazing. amazing. We are watching uh, a future multi MVP. Jason Tatum is amazing. (sighs) I like uh, I like that MVP. Jason Tatum. Oh, you're messing with me, dude. No, dude. You're messing. He does not show up when he needs to show up. Now, obviously, this is the season that he he might show up. But man, that series against the Bucks, like, hit multiple games where Jalen Brown was clearly the best player on the court. Like, and you're telling me he's going to be MVP level? No, he's never going to win an MVP in his entire career. I can't tell if you're kidding with me or not. I'm not. No, I'm dead, dead serious. He's not going to win an MVP in his entire career. That's not a ridiculous statement. There's like, his he's not going to, especially if Jalen Brown's on his team, because Jalen's arguably better. And I know it's a ridiculous statement, but like, he's more consistent in crunch times and is more reliable for that team than Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum just disappears. He's he needs to add 15 pounds of muscle. He needs to figure out a lot of things, and Jalen Brown doesn't. As compared, like, there's no way that man is the MVP of the league coming out of the Boston Celtics with Jalen Brown and his team for the rest of his career. And I'm not joking at all. And I'm scooping my jaw off the floor right now. Good. That's crazy. That's that's crazy. No, Who? I don't even, I yeah. don't even know how to address that. I mean, I like... Wait, okay, so you're talking about the top top five young players, let's say, you know, you know mid-20s. Jason Tatum's not on your list? I'm saying he's, he's certainly a good young player. Like, I mean, he's good. I just... There's no way he will be MVP candidate okay well let's talk about the changing of the guard in this entire league right like okay you have luca you have trey you have jaw right like where's jason tatum fitting in all of these in terms of mvp-ness all of those guys have a better shot of being mvp than than he's gonna have because they're actual like they're actually leading their teams you have you relatively young Jokic, you have a relatively young Giannis. like like this is his season to crack out and sort of show people that maybe he's an MVP, you know, we're in that general ballpark. But like, if he doesn't get it done this year, like, I mean, there's just, he, he has a really tough general class. I'm not saying that, you know, if I were him, I'd be a little frustrated. I don't have a shot at this MVP, but like. Wait, if he doesn't get it done this year, he's 24 years old. I know, I think I think he has to break out of the narrative now. He has to prove that he is materially better than Jalen Brown and that he's much more important to that team. And that, that he's, team... One, he's one year older than Luca. What do you mean he has to get it done this year? I'm saying he has to break out of the narrative of him not being the guy. He has to break out. And I think this is his year to prove that he can break out. And like, you know, he look, he's he's on the verge of going to the NBA finals. He has a great shot of beating the Warriors. So like, I mean, he certainly has a lot of opportunity here. But even if he does that, I still don't think he's in the MVP conversation next year. So if he goes to the finals, as the leader of the team, you can't argue he's not the leader of the team. I mean, Jalen's right there with him, but okay. Goes to the finals as MVP at 24 years old. You're saying that that caliber of player has no chance? 
Zero chance. Okay, of zero, an zero, zero is obviously uh, a bit. You know, I've got my Stephen A. Smith going on here, but like, you know, yes, I am. I, I'm trying to articulate a sub fifteen percent. Yes. Well, dude, that's just that's that's wild. That's just painfully, painfully biased. Because if that if this guy was on the Bucks, you like that would be it would be a whole different story. No, he's Chris. You, he's Chris Middleton. If he were on the Bucks, he is. He's about oh, as good as Chris Middleton is. Jason Tatum's Chris Middleton, dude. Dude, if Chris Middleton were playing in that series, we wouldn't even be having this conversation <laughs> right now. Like, the Bucks would have beaten the Celtics. Jason Tatum wouldn't have shown up. Middleton and the defense that they put on him would have quieted him. He would have had a shit performance, and then we'd be like, oh, yeah, he just can't get it done. Jalen Brown, on the other hand, has decent stats and is consistent for that team, and we wouldn't be even having this conversation. But Chris Middleton's hurt, and so now we're talking about Jason Tatum being an MVP level in the league. is like, dude, like, I'm not even sure he's the best player on his team. The only player to reach 1,500 points at a younger age in the playoffs have been Kobe Bryant. I mean, um, sure. he's past Le- he's past LeBron. No, I'm just I'm just saying. Like you, you said, he hasn't stepped up in the playoffs. He's the youngest player ever with 1,500 points in the playoffs. <laughs> like, I'm saying, I'm saying. I think to me, Jalen Brown is more important to that team's success than Jason Tatum. And you know, you can make time. an argument about that with a lot of players. You're yeah. important to the success. There's really big-time players that need their supporting cast. I mean, I would argue Giannis is one of those. I think what Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton have done with Giannis on the Bucks is severely under. I'll give you the Drew side especially because it's not talked about and Drew really unlocks a lot of defensive configurability. I mean... Giannis, Drew, and uh, Middleton, and Lopez, the four of them's ability to really shape-shift their defense is a huge unlock. So I will cede some of that ground. But what Giannis does on his own without those guys on the court is massive, and you can count on him, and he has massive games in massive moments, and he puts the team on his back. Now, they may not win, and I, I understand that, but like that is not Jason Tatum. Right People now. like LeBron and Giannis and Jokic. I mean, you're, they, compl- they, you're comparing. I mean, you're comparing these guys that are in the twilight. I'm talking about you saying had no chance, and now you're saying you know ten, ten, less, less than, yeah, less than fifteen percent, yeah. Okay, what I'm saying, you're talking about people who are past prime, maybe still prime-ish, right? Giannis, but yeah, Jokic, yeah. I mean, they're still in their prime, dude. No, I say prime-ish, but leaning towards like not middle prime, tail prime. Prime's a prime's a zone. I mean, Giannis is twenty-seven, dude. Yeah, but the way, but but like, yeah, we're talking about is is LeBron? I mean, is Giannis gonna be playing as long as LeBron? I mean, no, he's I just don't too. See why not? No, he's just he's just too big. Giannis is not taking his care of his body like LeBron is. <laughs> dude, what? Dude, you he's not. Like, dude, we're, we're gonna get in this, care in this of, his, of his body. Wait, Jokic like, is twenty-seven. Like LeBron, like LeBron is though. I mean, dude, it, will Giannis be leading the league in scoring when he's? When he's thir- I don't think Giannis is thirty six years old. I don't think his skill set's going to age as gracefully as, as Giannis or as LeBron's, but it, with his outside shot not being there and his mid range, so, so, so like his, I, we yes. think his prime. So if he's but like not his body, he's thirty six, then that is they have different fine. primes. He, Giannis is going to be in his prime for at least another five years. I mean, he'll be still dominating age thirty two. I mean, come on, dominating age thirty two, and then what, okay, so you're giving him roughly the same timeline as LeBron. Then I, what's, what's your point? I said Giannis, Jokic, all these guys—they're—they're—they're prime-ish, and I'm saying maybe towards tail end of prime. Prime is a zone, right? Jason Tatum's 24 years old. Right, but so he's three years younger than guys that are like like dramatically better than him. And so I'm saying like 
And then there's younger guys than him that are coming up that might even be already better than him, Trey and Ja and Luca, right? So it's like he's stuck. He's not that guy. And he's got guys that are only three years older than him that are dramatically better than him. And then he's got guys that are two or three years younger than him that are already better than him. I'm just saying, he's screwed. Like, unless this year he dominates, gets to the finals, puts his team on his back, he's like, he's doing the MVP thing, which I highly doubt he will. But if he does, then maybe he has a shot at it. But as of right now, if he goes to the finals and is putting up the same numbers as Jalen Brown and they win, you know, a six game series and there's, you know, no heroic moments and stuff like that, no. Then, like, like he, the younger guys are better than him and the older what? guys are better than them. He's stuck. Wait, wait. So the younger guys are better than him? Like, who? I mean, dude, Luca and Trey and Ja, I would all take over him. You having a little mini aneurysm? Yeah, I'm trying to come <laughs> to my senses. I'm trying to come to my senses. Well, here's the deal. Let us know on Twitter who's right because I'll just I'll appreciate to to- the, the validation just to know that I'm not in the minority. I hope that you guys are as sophisticated as I Jason, am. To- Jason Tatum plus or minus or his over under on percentage of to win an MVP is 15. percent Yeah, let just, us know what you think. Yeah, and just agree with me because obviously I'm right and <laughs> like just let me sleep better at night because let's let Flex know. I mean. Yeah, but so, back so to the original you. thing. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go back ahead. to the original is is to say that in the, the second half of the season, in terms of offensive efficiency, defense efficiency, the Celtics ranked number one in both, and to say that that is a shitty team to watch is sounds like someone who's watching who got their team knocked out. That's all. I'm trying to of all the teams to watch out there, they're the most boring team to watch and have been one of the most boring teams in the entire playoffs. I would rather watch the, you know, um, every, almost just about every other team that's just got knocked out. I mean, I would even go as far as to say that I'd rather watch the Sixers play than I would the Celtics all day. It's kind of like certainly the Nets, certainly the Heat, gotta, certainly the Bucks. You gotta, take, you gotta take some of that salt out of your wounds, man. We gotta move on. Dude, I'd rather watch the Bulls honestly over the, uh, the Celtics. At least there's like some fun going on there. There's especially with a healthy Lonzo. Dude, I don't know. Are you from Boston or something, dude? This is crazy. No, I just I I, I love watching Jalen Brown. He's amazing. I love watching Jason Jaylen's Tatum. Jalen's great. Jalen's great. I love and, lots and you, of love for Jalen. And you know, I mean, and not a lot to like about Jason Tatum. Come on. And then also, I respect the defensive end of the ball too. Like when when they just absolutely like shut people down. And Jason Tatum is not the other like a defender. So there's another oh, reason okay. not to put him in the MVP category. Oh, I mean, come on. Has that mattered in the past? James Harden, Russell Westbrook. Bro, come on. Yeah, I mean, no, you're not you're not wrong that it certainly isn't a requirement, but dude, he's just he's just no. No, you you let you and unnamed someone else on the group thread. You let the bias seep in too much. It's just too much. I just want to I just want to call it out. It's just too much bias going on. Ugh. But that's okay. We all have it. We all have it. All right, big three. So, we find out big three, the draft is in LA, happens to be a couple blocks from from my place. So we go over and check it out. It was awesome, man. So we show up, there's this place, it's called, if you're familiar, if you're not familiar with LA, Hayden Track, it's roughly in Culver City-ish area, which is west side-ish. I'm giving a lot of ish because LA is big and massive and <laughs> the neighborhood lines are blurred, but a lot of creative agencies over there, uh, a lot of like 
different creative projects, like a lot of people that work on film and, and movie studios and, and, and things like that. And it was a Microsoft kind of uh, Microsoft building, like a lounge, and they did it right. You, you show up, there was have a almost what looked like a like a newsroom, and they were kind of practicing running through. It was being live streamed. I can't remember the name of, of the company that was streaming it, but you got a chance to meet you know, guys like Katino Mobley, Franklin Sessions, who three year in a row drew league mvp a couple of guys who knew that they were getting drafted actually showed up which i thought was pretty cool they had this outdoor area i got to meet ice cube in person and, and talk to him for a little bit he i told this story to uh, to uncle john and this might be our first sui he proactively was like you guys you guys are wild i love it and you guys have the pig pen and i was like holy shit ice cube knows about the pig pen so can i get a sui sui <laughs> and so we were uh, kind of moving around meeting people upstairs too. It was just really cool. All the merch laid out, had a bunch of different jackets, hat, t-shirts. That was kind of like the, the owner's lounge per se. And so they had people from D-Gods, uh, a couple of representatives from Moonbirds. So all the teams that, that basically had acquired you know, this, this ownership piece had a kind of upstairs kind of viewing area. It was great to talk with them, right? It was one of those things where, hey, like on the court, just a very similar to what I think what real NBA ownership would be like, or perhaps even even down to the player level. It was, hey, when we play each other, it's on. But this is this is such a cool experience, and we want kind of the best for the league, and we should try to put our heads together on how to kind of promote Big Three as a whole. It was just a really really awesome experience, and, and everything was done really well, right? Like all the way from. Just the, the experience walking in, how they made sure to like, oh, you have to meet this person, meet this person, um, going upstairs to the lounge, like open bar. Like it was it was a whole event and, and they took it really, really serious, which was good to see. But I think above all, what was crazy is how real it felt. Like we really haven't had a moment yet where everything's been done so remotely, even like, you know, announcements. And everything. That was the first time, I think, at least personally, that we walked in, we're like, whoa, when I saw, I was looking at the screen and said, the ball hogs are now on the clock. I was like, this, this is, this is our team. This is the Krause house team. And so we got to talk to the commissioner for a little bit. He let us know who were the drafting a couple minutes before, which was, which was pretty, and just the whole experience was great. Like in, in seeing us, those people and kind of getting excited, talking a little bit of trash to the other owners, it kind of like set in his reality. It's like, oh, this is, this is real. Like this is the team that we have to do anything we can to make them win. I highly, highly suggest that we try to make kind of a Krausehouse destination trip to at least one, if not more, games. And so people from the community can actually feel feel that that general experience because it's super exciting. It's hard to put in words. Well, it's almost impossible to put in words what you think you would feel in that situation. And it was wildly different. It just was the first time it felt really real as a huge step forward for Krausehouse. That's awesome, man. I'm so glad that you and some other folks were able to attend. And I got, I mean, I got to say, I mean, the production value of the drafts, like the production they put on the live stream and whatnot was just incredible. It's just really exciting as well to work with such talented and thoughtful, high quality folks is saying like this draft needs to feel good and the production value has to be there and the announcers have to good and you know kind of the sideline reporters and all those pieces it was just really really cool to see the level of detail intentionality and budget they, they're really putting forth to make a really really great product and an experience for folks so just as i kind of experiencing that through the stream as a fan it's just like man like 
this is fucking exciting and it's and it's legit and it's not you know some random league with some random players and random things like like they're really trying to make this thing big time and like that's why we wanted to get involved and so it's just really exciting yeah i mean the production value was unbelievable i mean and that's where you kind of have to give a hat tip to uh to cube and jeff i think like coming from that world and understanding high quality you know production and how much it matters it was really really cool to see i mean when i first met ice cube he probably had another i don't know like 45 seconds before he had to do an entire another another rehearsal and you know he he squeezed it in you wanted to make sure that he saw kind of the ball hogs being represented and i got a kind of chance to talk to him with that at length once the draft was over but it was just it was just really cool like it was like you got to meet people kind of behind the scenes like we haven't really talked to anybody who works for the big three other than sean jeff and cube and this was an opportunity i was meeting other employees and like figuring out what they did i met uh, a lady who was doing his there who locked in their cbs partnership she was amazing she had an aliens jacket on and i made her uh, i tried to convince her to switch to ball hogs she wasn't really having it i think i finally got through the other end i think i saw her change but it took some convincing but it was cool to to see to see the entire orchestration at work and like i think to your point they're taking it super serious as they should which is what you want in the league and you've seen the growth trajectory you see what they're doing they added the all-star game the broadcasting rights with cbs i mean it's trending in the right direction in a, in a big way yeah absolutely is and really love the draft picks as well stacy as an example i think it was stacy davis watching his highlight reel is just like i feel like he's a fantastic big three style player as well and has some size can shoot the three like if you watch his highlight reel it's just like him picking and popping and getting big rebounds and like i'm like man this guy i think he's six six but he really felt like he was playing more like he was six eight but could step out and hit threes and kind of get in the post. So it was just like, I'm like, this is an awesome skill set for the big three. So um, really excited to see the team kind of vibe out and get on the court together and see what happens. Yeah. Shout out to um, the Asian baller came with me. Pepperdine alum actually knows Stacy personally, which was, which was wild. He had said that they were thinking about drafting him, but had no idea that he would be, you know, our first pick. But again, after conversations with Rick and talking about how much he loves coaching players like Jody and Barbosa, I guess from the dialogue that I've heard is that Stacy fits this mold as well. And it was cool to kind of hear them talk about that. They're like, he's one of those guys, I think you mentioned this too, plays bigger than he is, can step outside and shoot. Multiple first team all, a West Coast Conference first team. So, like, really, really legit. It's played overseas, a lot of professional professional talent. So, yeah, it's a huge, huge pickup. Super excited. Well, ball hogs, ball hogs in six. Is that, is that a thing? I don't think that's a thing, but it might become a thing. It is now. Also, we would be remiss to not mention Karan Iverson, who was the second pick, played at Memphis, obviously top division one school so he's another one that we added to the roster again super long six nine can step outside and shoot i i can't remember his i don't want to misspeak on his his professional career like where he played or anything like that but again i, I saw some clips and highlights and, and he looks great so well-rounded team there's some tough competition some of these teams are really really coming together but that's why we're here we want to kind of get involved and, and help them win games again in a really competitive league which is great let's do it 
Well, let's switch gears a little bit into kind of our, our DAO section. And I, I think the framing that would be helpful for this is just, you know, we've been having some conversations around this governance process, some of the pros and cons, uh, some of the intricacies of it, kind of dealing with it. I think there's a couple kind of pieces of context I'd like to add before we kind of dive into some of the principles and kind of the debate of how we kind of see this all playing out. But let me start by saying the way that Kraushouse works is that if someone has an idea in the community and they want that to become a thing, there is a process for them to create a proposal. Anyone with the NFT can create that proposal. We have some templates and whatnot. And the idea is that we really want to empower anyone to really bring any idea to the DAO and we want to go vote on it. And so we're very much in favor of people coming with emergent ideas and opportunities and bringing them uh, to us. It's something that I've talked to a lot of other DAOs of the struggle of like, you know, how do you know a proposal is sort of a good proposal or a bad proposal? I just want to state here that we have a kind of a value of saying like, we want all of these proposals to come in, whether or not they fit a, a tight criteria against a, a vision or, or a strategy. So then the second thing that happens is that we have a stewardship team and the stewardship team's goal is really to take that idea and this concept and help formulate it into a valid proposal. And what a valid proposal really means is like, is it scoped well? Does it have a clear end date? What's the reversibility? Is there a you know, discrete address that, you know, we're going to do the actual payout to like kind of what is this thing to make sure that it's like a healthy object, that it's not a, you know, a bad actor or something like that. It's this thing that's saying like, Hey, it has a scope it has a purpose. Here's how we'll know if it was successful or not. Right. And just kind of putting a structure. And I like to think about it from like a U.S. law perspective of saying like, you might have a lobbyist or an interest group saying like, we got to solve this problem. They work with lawmakers to write an actual bill. That bill fits in the context of, of U.S. law. That's really what the stewardship team is is effectively doing, is helping that idea translate into a structure that we can then vote on. And then we bring that to the entire community and let's go vote on it. So the stewardship team's goal is really to help ideas become scoped for valid proposals, but not necessarily this is a good or bad proposal as much as it is like it is a well-formed or not well-formed proposal. And then we vote on it as a down and we go off to the races. And so I think some of the pros and cons that we've experienced with this is that you certainly have different proposals that have different things, right? You might have a group saying, hey, we should only spend money towards actual MBA ownership positions. You might have other groups saying like, hey, let's go do crazy, you know, in, in IRL events, right? And like in our world, we allow both of those proposals to come to the community and we let the community decide on what they're going to do. Other DAOs struggle with sort of what's kind of on charter and, and off charter. So that's kind of the, the framing of, of how the Kraushaus governance process works. I had a really great conversation with a bunch of DAO leaders at a DAO camp hosted by, by Cabin DAO of like, hey, how do you sort of pick, like, like there's this, like this kind of these trade-offs. And so the thing I wanted to like bring up for Flex and I is A, like let's talk about this stuff broadly, but B, I mean, this process that we have, I think get, sometimes it can be a little slow. Sometimes it can be a little chaotic, right? Proposals from all sorts of different people can come in. In some cases, maybe they want to do the same thing, right? So there's maybe a lack of efficiency in sort of this process. There may be a lack of focus or potentially non-strategic proposal, right? So you're kind of allowing people to come in. But on the other hand, we're empowering folks and really pushing governance and uh, action to the edges uh, of the DAO and really saying like, hey, this is not about a centralized object making decisions on what's appropriate or not appropriate, but really letting the social collective do cool shit that they think that there's opportunity for us to go do. So 
what has been like flex your experience with this model that we've implemented? Like, what do you feel like have been working? What pieces like, do you think we should change? Like, how are you just kind of feeling having now we've done this for, for roughly six months officially? Yeah, I think as you mentioned, it's an interesting process. And, and this is one of the things that I always highlight when people ask about, about DAOs and contributors about taking their sort of talents and skills that they've had or, or they accrued and like, hey, where can I get involved? And I think probably the, the better question is, what are you interested in doing? Because there are these categories, areas, business units even within DAOs that don't exist in kind of the traditional centralized startup based world. And one of those that I always highlight is, is governance. It's a very interesting way to go about it. And, and any, any person will tell you in DAOs, whether they are uh, a governance nerd or not, it's one of the trickier ones. And it's also one of the ones for most room for ideation and, and kind of pushing the boundaries of, of what's possible within DAOs. So huge caveat in saying it's really difficult and it's going to be a kind of longer process. But it is interesting because you're kind of battling what, like you broke this down is like, it, it's not the steward's job per se to highlight whether or not a proposal is good or or, sh or will pass or shouldn't pass. It's do you have all the necessary information to bring it to the community for, for voting? The problem, just because we're humans, you start to sprinkle in a lot of subjectivity around some of the proposals of like, what you would want to see. It's really difficult to read a proposal and immediately your brain goes to, oh, I'm, I'm voting no or I'm voting yes. So that's, I think, just this human nature. So you kind of have to remove that and start going with something more object. And then again, with the bias, you kind of start to, to follow proposals and give feedback to the one that you want proved. So you're adding a ton of kind of this subjective context into something that should probably be more objective. I think the the point of DAOs is that anyone could put together a proposal and have it submitted. And so with that being said, there should be some sort of minimum level uh, of, of material and context that are required. But again, like a human nature. So I think you're kind of battling that on two fronts. But with our process specifically, I think there's been some really, really good things and then some areas of improvement, which I mean, I'll stop there. That's a whole nother, whole nother rabbit hole. But yeah, I think in general, it's, it's a difficult problem to solve because there's just so many variables and complexity that go into it and then we kind of leverage our our subjective nature as humans to try to tweak the proposals or view the proposals in that way but that's not really the role of the stewards yeah i think one thing to kind of highlight there is that you know something that we've recently started kind of ideating on is in the i'm going to speak in kind of programming context here it's like it would be amazing to sort of have this like validator function for a proposal saying like, hey, it's scoped, it has a clean, you know, start date, end date, reversibility, protection clause, like, you know, it's sort of like is able to go through and say it has these things. Now, you can use governance platforms to make sure that things always fit into that criteria. But I think one of the things that we've experienced on this journey is that even a simple proposal, the moment it has a single layer of subjectiveness to it, it immediately becomes really challenging to, to figure it out. So you can put all that on a smart contract, you can do all these things and try to make it as programmatic as possible. But as soon as you say like the logo design is complete, 
Like the mo moment you say something like that, right? Well, now what's the definition of complete, right? And like, how do we determine that? And, you know, in a lot of cases, you're either going to do that through a number of revisions and say like, there's just like, okay, after three revisions, it is accepted as complete. Or you might say like some committee decides that, but again, not any of those situations sort of adds that. And so it's just a, it's a heck of a challenge to have this, you know, this idea of a validator. And then as Flex mentioned, this ability to decouple like what your own opinion of it is, right? And again, we see this in US law is that you're gonna have a congressman or you know whoever, they're gonna have a case or a situation that they're really passionate about. They're probably gonna work really hard to reach across the aisle and like continue to revise it and continue to build up votes. And like, they're gonna continue to kind of work on this thing. Whereas if someone else is like, hey, they're working hard on that and you hear about it and you're like, yeah, I support that, I'm gonna vote for it but it's like not your thing, you're really not gonna like roll your sleeves up and, and really help get that bill to the spot that it's be. So that's kind of a form of, of soft power. And so it's this, you know, the intention here of bringing this conversation up is to be transparent and authentic and vulnerable with the other DAO communities to say like, this is ch challenging for us. It's something that we struggle with, but I think we're continuing to kind of make progress and slowly fix our challenges. But it's a really, really challenging line to balance because it's you you don't necessarily want soft power to accidentally become hard power because that can kind of go sour pretty quickly and so again the context here is just like we want to open source the, these learnings and, and and share kind of how we're going because we've posted a, a lot of proposals i think we're up to almost 70 of them in roughly six months and there's a lot of other communities that haven't even gotten close to posting that many proposals and, and do that much stuff yeah, one luxury that we've had, to your point, we, we've had a lot of people come and ask us governance-related questions, probably more than any other. It's funny. I feel like it's governance and tokenomics because those are those are unique to the space. I'm like something like maybe marketing or product or engineering, which you kind of adapt from other industries or, or what you've worked on previously. These are kind of brand new. So we get a lot of questions. Like, How do you guys think about this? Or, or why did you do it that way versus this way? And the one luxury that we do have is we do have the, a lot of proposal frequency, right? There's a lot of people that are interested in contributing that believe in the mission and, and, and want to kind of experiment. And we've seen kind of a wide variety of proposals that come in across a variety of different subject matters and a variety of different compensation structures. And it's allowed us to kind of digest everything and, and kind of figure out what's working and, and what's not. But it is kind of an ever-evolving process. I don't think there's going to be a best practices guide for governance for quite some time until it becomes more, you know, of a cornerstone and, and DAOs start to evolve and get bigger. But yeah, it's 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 been interesting to kind of observe this thing. I know you've been way more interested in the general topic than than I have. And Eli is, is one of the, the core steward members, kind of oversees the whole process. And you guys are definitely the governance nerds of Krause House. But it is such an interesting process because I think it's at the at the foundational level. It is kind of this, I don't know. Yeah, it's the, it, it's why we DAO in the first place. And that's why it's so important is that everyone has a say, everyone can use treasury to go build or collaborate on really cool things. So it's an important piece that we do have to get right um, because it matters so much to our general ethos of why we build it in the first place. Yeah, one thing to double down on that is that, you know, we really believe in this duocracy idea and, you know, Phil from Kevin, I, I give a lot of credit on, on putting the words on duocracy, but one of my favorite things that he said and kind of overviewing it is that, you know, a centralized company might make the decision to do 10 things and they have the expectation that all 10 things go really, really well. That's part of the, the challenge of a centralized organization. 
with the duocracy, what we're trying to do is probably 100 things, and 80 of them are going to go well, and 20 of them are not going to go well, right? And the trade-off that you're making is that, yes, we're going to be more inefficient, right? We're 20% fail rate compared to a 0% fail rate, but we're going to do eight times as much output as the centralized organization. That's at least the strategy and the theory. And I think that these governance proposals are the same thing. A lot of times when I talk to these different projects, they're like, well, how do we make sure that you know two teams aren't working on the same thing? Well, like maybe that's actually what you want. If you really believe in duocracy, maybe part of what, you know, if you think about those 100 things that you're doing, maybe one of the failures and, and one of the successes is one team doing it really, really well and another team also trying to do it and not going well. Is that inefficient? Yes. Is efficiency everything? Um, no. And, and I think that is one thing that's really hard for us as Americans in a capitalist society uh, to really wrap our head around. And I think not to kind of go down a whole another rabbit hole, but this is something that a lot of big corporations are thinking about now in a post-COVID world, in a kind of a cold war with China and kind of a trade war, is like, hey, us producing widgets at the absolute cheapest price with no redundancy is not a, like a suitable business strategy. We need redundancy, even if that increase our, our costs, right? We are less efficient on a per unit basis because we have multiple plants doing that. But for the net value of the business, it's actually a stronger position, right? That's a shift that we're starting to see in traditional business in in the US here in the last you know two years, especially thinking about like, hey, how hyper-globalized do you go down for all of the different pieces in your supply chain? That's a, that's a very serious and important question that a lot of companies are really, really reconsidering right now. And I think DAOs have an opportunity to think in that same way of saying, hey, we might have two teams that want to handle the social accounts. Like, is it stupid to have them both run it at the same time? You give them lanes and spaces and times, you know, like there's, there's some level of intelligence here that you can go do this. But like, maybe you should let both of those people run social for a month at the same time and ax the one that's not doing really, really well and promote the one that is. That's just a different way of thinking about the world. It's a different way of thinking about capital allocation. It's a different way of thinking about funding teams and people. And I think that's non-intuitive for a lot of folks. And it's something that I, I just think is important, a value for us to push into the governance process as well. Love it. Cool. We should probably wrap up there recording this on a Friday. We'll shift around of rescheduling, but... Yeah, to cap it off, if if you if you have any interest in getting involved in governance, have some ideas, want to have a little think boy think tank with us and in, in IDA, please feel free to reach out. Again, need all the help we can get with with the big three. It's real. The roster spot is full. The schedule is set. June 18th is the first tip. We're gonna have watch parties online. We're gonna have some people actually be there in Chicago for it. Let's bring home a ring. This is it. This is big. And if there is anyone out there that thinks Commodore is remotely right about Jason Tatum never winning the MVP, then let us know too. Let us know your Come thoughts on, on anything. We, we, give we, we know. Give them some love. Give them some love. Maybe I'm the crazy one. Yeah, I, dro I mean, drop Maybe. some drop some knowledge on us too. I mean, I'd like... Like, you know, Flex was cheating. He was pulling up some some stats, typing in the background, rooting, rooting the audio. I was trying to do the noble, you know, just off the top of the dome. But drop some knowledge on us. You know, why why does he have a shot at being MVP in the next five years? So, so you know what? It wasn't quite the, I, yeah, that probably seemed lame. It wasn't quite that bad. I actually just, I needed to a refresher on his age. But that was the top news story on Google was that only after you said, it's just so serendipitous that you said he doesn't step up. And then the first article was that he has more playoff points at his age than everyone except a guy named Kobe Bryant. 
So it just, it just, it just, that's how the world works. Yeah. They were like, hey, you, you have to use this. But all right, guys, can I get a, or no, let me do it. Let me return the favor. I'm going to get one, one good suey. So pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Later, guys.